You know, I was uh, scrolling on Instagram recently, and I saw a post, and it said, church is boring. And then I read many of the comments underneath, and they said the same thing, church is boring. And in some ways, I could understand what they were saying, because sometimes church can be boring. But I think the most important question that we have to ask is, why? Why is church, is it because of the songs? Well, maybe. Is it because of the length of the sermon or the quality of the sermon? Possibly. Is it the length of the service itself? I think, I think that can play a contributing part to it. But I think one of the reasons that many of us think church is boring is because we attend out of obligation and to check off a religious box. We come for information and come out of obligation, but we miss that church is supposed to be a place of transformation. What we believe here at ACTV is that this place can be the, inter- the entire turning point for your life. If you're married, we believe this can be a place where your marriage can grow. If you're lonely, we believe that ACTV and other churches can be a place where you can develop lifelong friendships. Like church is only dull if you're not seeing changes in your life. And we believe that church should be a place where you can find peace through life's challenges. Because let's be honest, Storms are going to come, and the quality of your relationship with others is often what holds you up in the midst of those times, and we just believe that can be for you. And one of the ways we want to serve you today is we're starting a new sermon series called What's Next? What's Next? Uh, What's Next is a question that we all ask, isn't it? When you go to middle school, you're wondering what's next in high school. When you get to high school, you're wondering what's next in college or trade school or the military. If you get engaged, they want to know what? When's the marriage? Once you get married, they want to know when's the children. Once you have one child, they're wondering, when is the next child coming? It's like, well, you have them. You have the next child. Jesus. But here's the question. What if we were less preoccupied with what's next and were better stewards and tried to manage our now? What What if there were some things that you can do in the now so that you can have a better next. And during this sermon series, what I want to do is I want to preach through some timeless principles. And I want to help you learn some things today so that you can apply them to your life tomorrow. Does that make sense? Okay. Let me tell you a really awful story. Well, the story is good, but it was an awful experience for me. All right? So just live vicariously through my pain. One day I was cooking. Naturally, I was in the kitchen. I was in the kitchen. I was cooking. And then I heard a loud bang. And then I heard these, what sounded like two little feet just scampering above me, at, well, above the drywall above me. And let me just be honest, I'm really not worried about loud noises in my house because I have something called <laughs> children. And if you know anything about children, you know they make a lot of noises. But oftentimes you don't worry about the loud bangs unless you hear a cry. You hear a boom and you go, oh, they're okay. They're okay. They're fine. They're fine. They just fell on each other. It's it's totally fine. One will come downstairs telling on the other one, and I'll be like, yo, don't do that. Okay, okay, it's okay. But this bang had me a little bit more apprehensive because it was one that I wasn't familiar with. After a further investigation, I found out that two Camden squirrels (laughs) had chewed through the siding of my house and had a made a nest in my home. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly how I felt. I was, at, I was shocked that this was happening. 
And so I did everything in my power to get them out. I mixed, I, I said, you know what, I know what to do. I'm gonna get on Google. And I got on Google and I found out that if you mix water and cayenne pepper, and then you spray it on the entrance, that the, that the squirrels may not come back. Fail, did not work. Then I decided, you know what, I'm gonna get some chicken wire. Surely squirrels don't have sharp teeth. Surely not, because they're not, they're not rodents or anything like that. I was like, surely they're marsupials, and marsupials don't have sharp teeth. So I, I took some chicken wire, and I wrapped the chicken wire around the entrance. They chewed through the chicken wire. Then I got some, I said, all right, I know what to do. I'm going to get a rock, and I'm going to just take the rock and put it in front. And somehow, they managed to inch their way around the small little hole and climb up and make their nest again. It didn't matter what I did. I just could not get rid of those unwanted guests. And so finally, one day I said, Jesus, I need help. And so I called a, a gentleman you may know who was up here doing a ministry moment a few minutes ago. I said, he has, surely he has experience with squirrels. Being from East Tennessee, he can help me deal with these squirrels. I called Pastor Jacob. He was like, this is easy. He put some quick concrete on the hole and it was fine. But when he did that, the squirrels were then trapped. So once it got trapped, you can imagine that it died right there in the drywall. Yes, I'm, I'm getting there. I'm prom I promise you I'm getting there. It's really going to be a good story. And then after they died, a bunch of flies just swarmed through my kitchen. And I looked at Sarah. I said, Sarah, I'm not used to this. I'm from the suburbs. I'm from Burlington. We, these are not Burlington issues that we have to deal with. I don't know what's going on. No matter how hard I tried, I could not get rid of those unwanted guests. And you know, as I was thinking about that horrible, horrendous, awful story this week, I realized that some of us are experiencing something very similar. Now, you may not have squirrels burrowing through your home, but each of us has some unwanted guests. And those unwanted guests burrow through our minds, and they're called intrusive thoughts. And like squirrels, these intrusive thoughts are unwelcomed, and they're unwanted and they're this this like collection of dreams and images and compulsions that simply come out of nowhere and like squirrels when they marinate in our minds for a while they gnaw through our confidence they burrow through our dreams and they chew away at our courage now let's be honest sometimes these unwanted thoughts are harmless aren't they sometimes they can be helpful because they can give you the creative solution that you need to solve a complex problem Right, you remember that story in Nehemiah when, I mean the story in Ezra where, where Ezra said, God put it in my mind that we need to fast. Sometimes you will get a creative idea and God will literally put it in your mind. But on the, on the other side, it seems like sometimes the devil will just drop a thought off in your mind. You're like, why am I thinking about this? And it seems to happen most when you try to pray. You're like, you know what, God must not want me to pray today. I'm just going to... I'm going to just turn on Netflix. I'm going to just go to sleep. I'm going to just watch Narcos and go to sleep. That's what I'm going to do. It's intrusive thoughts. So you know what's negative? You know the real negative thing about intrusive thoughts is sometimes they're downright dangerous because they're distracting, they're discouraging, and especially when they burrow into our minds and they make a nest. In other words, they're especially dangerous when they marinate in the crevices of our mind. Think about it like this. Today is Sunday. Sunday is typically a restful day for many of us. 
You know, some of you will leave here and you'll go get dinner. You're like excited about it. Like it's still brunch. We get you out early enough that you can go to brunch. Amen, somebody. You like, you getting me out before two o'clock. This is great. I'm coming back to this church next week. Right? We, you get up before brunch. Some of us are going to go home and get a, a great nap because nothing hits like a church nap, like an after church nap. Amen. And then you be up all night just staring at the ceiling. You be like, I should have did something. Maybe I should have went and worked out or something. But at some point, like, like Sunday is restful, but at some point, many of us are going to have an intrusive thought about Monday morning. We're going to say something like, Monday is so terrible. I have so much work waiting on me when I get there. School is going to be so awful this week. I've got all these exams, the jo- or the job search is killing me. I've applied everywhere, at every place. I'm Jesus, I'm tired. My hands are tired from typing. Lord, I done sent out 3,478 resumes, and I just keep on getting rejected time and time again. Some of y'all are homeschool parents. You are at-home warriors. So you're going to be teaching your children from home. God, bl- God bless you. We are going to pray for you before the service is out. Just come on up here. We'll just get, lay hands on you. Right? All of these things. Like, like we have all of these intrusive thoughts. And sometimes our thoughts lie to us, don't they? Because what if Monday is the best Monday you've ever had in the history of Mondays? What if, what if you go in there strong and confident and you realize, oh, God is with me. I can handle it because even though the winds of Monday come, the framework and the foundation of Jesus can't be blown away. What if you get up there before you get into your Monday and you're reciting scripture to yourself? You're like, I am a tree planted by the rivers of water that gives forth fruit in due season. I am a child of God. Ephesians 2.10, I am his workmanship. And no matter what I face, I can handle it because I am built for this. What if that's your Monday? Some of y'all should just say, I love Monday morning. Because I get to fix all the broken stuff that happened on the weekend. I love, thank you for another day, Monday. Thank you for another Monday, Jesus. Thank you that my bed wasn't my cooling board. Thank you that I have the ability to go to the job. I don't like the job, but thank you that I got a job. All I'm saying is, sometimes you have to have a different vantage point on your Monday. Let me go on. Let me just go on. That's not part of my notes. But here's the thing. Monday is going to come. And if you allow negative, untruthful, intrusive thoughts to burrow through your mind, it will lead to something that people call anxious dread or situational anxiety. I like how Ashley Anderson from the church of NYC explains it. She says, anxiety has, is always or, or a lot of times is bought on by intrusive thoughts. You thought something, it burrows into your mind, and then you think about that thought so much that it causes a physiological re- response in your body. Right? Your breath starts to shorten. You start to feel tightness in your chest. It's often because of that thought that came into your mind. Now, here's the thing about anxiety. Anxiety, I believe, is a real and legitimate thing. I also believe, conversely, that it's over-indexed in our society because we use the word anxiety to describe our everyday inconveniences. How many times have you heard somebody say, I almost had a panic attack because I I lost my AirPods? Oh, AirPods. Okay, sorry. If you don't have an Apple, you may not know what that is. So AirPods are headphones. Okay. AirPods. What it does, it connects through the Bluetooth. 
right? You know the blue, yo, y'all might not have Bluetooth on Samsung phones, okay. Uh, let me see. I don't know, it's, it's how you wirelessly connect your phone. Okay, okay, you can't fit your phone in your pocket because it's so deep and wide, wow. It's as big as this confidence monitor, okay. Uh, anyway, some people, some people, let me just talk to them, green bubbles are disgusting. Anyway, let me go on, let me go on. Don't, let me, why are y'all getting me on this? It's because I broke my mic and I had the handheld mic, I try to avoid this because I think it's comedy hour. Anyway, so although, although it's true for some of us, it is true. It's true for some of us. Some of us are struggling and battling our anxiety right now. And I want you to know if you're struggling with your mental health, you're in the right place because you're in a place where God can take your anxiety and exchange it for peace, where he can take your storm and he can turn it into a calm breeze and help you with that. Right. And maybe you're, if you're struggling with anxiety, maybe your path to freedom may be laborious. It might be a combination of medications and counseling, but just because you struggle with your mental health doesn't mean that you're exempt from the promises of God. They still, they still apply to you regardless of your emotional or mental state. Now, let me just help you, though. Well, I'm, not, I'm not trying to help you solve your anxiety, but what I do believe is that intrusive thoughts trigger anxiety. So what I like to do is help you deal with those intrusive thoughts so it doesn't get triggered, okay? And so what we're about to read today is what I would describe as a Hall of Fame verse. This verse is the most highlighted verse in all of the scriptures. If you look at Kindle, it's the most highlighted one, right? If, this was, if it was a Hall of Fame, if this was in that, uh, in that category, it would be right next to the Lord's Prayer in John 3.16, it would be right there, right? It's, it's one of the most highlighted. And what I believe is that it's a cure to help us with intrusive thoughts. Let's read together. It's in Philippians, the fourth chapter. Philippians is a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul in, in the first century to this church. And so this is what it says. It says in verse six, it says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. Somebody say be known to God. And get this promise, verse 7, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, mean you can't even comprehend it, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatsoever is true, whatsoever is noble, whatsoever is right, whatsoever is pure, whatsoever is lovely, whatsoever is admirable, if there is anything excellent or praiseworthy, think on these things. Okay? So what you have in this verse, or what you have in this periscope, is you have three verses, Four commands, one powerful promise. Three verses, four commands, one powerful promise. And that powerful promise is that the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your heart and mind through Jesus. Can I ask you a question? Don't you want some calm in your life this fall? Because I believe God wants to give it to me. Listen, I, I, I don't know about prophetically declaring, but as I read through this verse, here's what I believe. God, it is God's will that it is not God's will that you live a perpetual life of anxiety. It is not God's will that you face the day with trepidation and anxiety and barely want to get out of bed. I believe that this verse helps us or is proving that you can start a new chapter in your life and I'm going to teach you how to be calm today. C-A-L-M. Are you ready? So here's this prescription. It's four steps. You might want to either write this down or take a picture. Calm stands for four things. The C says control belongs to God. The A, ask him for help. 
L, leave your worries with him. And the M is meditate on good things. Did you get that? You need me to say it again? Say it again? Okay, I got you. C, control belongs to God. Somebody say, if it belongs to God, it don't belong to me. Somebody say, I resign from being the control, in control of the universe. We can't even determine if the hairs on our head stay or how to regulate our blood pressure, but we want to be in control of everything. We are little control freaks. Let me go on. That ain't part of the sermon. A, ask him for help. Not just rely on yourself. Ask him for help. L, leave your worries with him. Leave it with him. Don't pick it back up. Take it to the goodwill of Jesus. Don't go back to the goodwill and pick it up. M, meditate on good things. That means help with your, learn how to deal with your thought life. Here it is. Now, okay, let me help us. I'm going to give us some background, then we're going to jump in, okay? Max Lucado says it like this. If there was anyone in the world at this time in the first century that had the cause to complain, it would have been the Apostle Paul. He has written two-thirds of the New Testament at this point, or nearly two-thirds of the New Testament, which are, just a collabor- which are a collection of letters that he wrote to churches that he started in the Mediterranean region in the first century. And so right here, he's writing this letter to the Philippian church that he started, and he's sitting in a Roman jail cell. Now, I'm talking about Alcatraz. I'm not talking about some of the other jails. Like he barely had access to food. He was chained in sewage. At this point, he is half blind and squinting through his eyes. He can barely see. He's asked God several times to take this thorn from him. God has not done that. And so he's here. He's awaiting trial. And on top of that, the emperor of that time, whose name is Nero, knew that he can cully favor within the Roman Empire by killing Christians. And he got the most famous one who was Paul. But on top of that, on top of the persecution and the beheading that is soon to come, he's struggling with anxiety and pressure because he started all these churches in the Mediterranean region, and many of them are, have members who are bickering with one another. He's got false teachers there that are teaching false doctrine and preaching out of uh, anxiety, preaching out of, uh, out of jealousy of Paul. They're like, if Paul can do it, I can do it. He can't preach anyway. You read 2 Corinthians 10, 10. His bodily appearance is weak, but his words are weighty. His preaching is so bad, people fall out of the windows and die. That really happened. But then he picked him up and raised him again. Paul even acknowledged. What, what I'm saying is he's sitting here struggling with all these things, but in Philippians is a letter of joy. Now I want you to know that it's not a letter of happiness because happiness depends on what happens. Joy says that I can, I can have favor and I can trust in God and I can regulate my emotions no matter the season that I face because he's with me. So he's sitting there. He's not complaining. He's not shaking his fist at God because God didn't do something about his health. He says, you know where I'm going to start at? You know how I can have a prescription for my, angry, for my anxiety? I'm going to start with rejoicing. He says in Philippians 4.4, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will rejoice. Can we do a little bit of Greek lesson here? He's using all of the literary tools in his toolbox to let us know something. First, he employs what's called a present imperative tense. So when someone, when the reader would have read this verse, they would know that Paul is encouraging him to do this continually and habitually. 
He's saying in whatever season you face, I need you to rejoice. And whatever you're experiencing and whatever pain you have, you can rejoice. On top of that, he removes the expiration date and he says, I want you to do it always. That means in whatever circumstance you're in, you can rejoice. And then on top of that, he repeats that very same command. What he's saying is that when you are bombarded with all of these intrusive thoughts, the place that you need to start is rejoicing. Make yourself glad. Because there's something that you can be grateful for, something you can be happy about. Let me go on. Somebody might be asking, well, pastor, how is that even possible? How is it even possible for me to have a physical infirmity, to be lonely, and to be locked in a Roman prison, but yet have joy? And I think it's based upon the fact that Paul understood the sovereignty of God. He understood that control belongs to God. That's to see. Somebody might be like, what's, what's sovereignty? The sovereignty of God is a biblical term to describe how God has complete control over the universe. It describes how even when a situation looks chaotic, God is somehow working all of these created things out for his intended purpose. He's like, God is governing all things. He's directing them in a way that pleases him. And I'm not worried because he's directing everything, including me, and my life is in his hands. Why is sovereignty so important when you're dealing with anxiety that's brought on by intrusive thoughts? Why? Here it is. Because anxiety is often the consequence of perceived chaos. We think it's chaos. Right? When, when, when we sense that we are victims of unseen forces and turbulent circumstances and, ran, and random forces that are behind, no, Paul says, no, no, that's not what happened. He's saying God is in complete control. And even when my life feels out of control, I know that he, I'm in his perfect plan. How do I know, preacher? Because Philippians 1.6 says, be confident of this thing, that he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion until the day of Christ. That means that you are not a victim of random chance and circumstance. It means that God has started something in you. You just need to be reminded that you're a child of God. And even if you don't know Jesus in here, welcome to the cookout. We're happy that you're here. Hope that you step into our other environment. But even if you don't know Jesus in here, the fact that you are here on a Sunday morning and you are learning about this Savior means that he's trying to do something with you. He's not done with your life. He's got purpose and ability and skills and things that he's built on the inside. And he wants to use them for the glory of God. He wants to make and mold you so you look more and more like Jesus every day. He wants to welcome you into a discipleship process where you shed off how you used to look and look more like he wants you to look. He's not done with you yet. And I know that your life seems chaotic and out of control. But let me tell you, God does not just start the universe and then step away. No, he's still in full control. Somebody is wondering, well, if he's in control, why does my life seem like it's in chaos? If, if, if he's able to fix everything, why does my life feel like it's so broken? But just because you don't understand why it's that way doesn't mean that it doesn't have any meaning. Because there are certain things, like I told you last week, that God teaches us in the classroom of hardship that he does not teach us in the boardroom of success. 
Because when you're succeeding, you can overlook your character issues. When you're succeeding, you can overlook your daddy issues because you're winning. You're getting buckets. You're getting a W. I don't need to worry about things working out. But when stuff starts falling apart, that's when you have to examine your life. Sometime God will use suffering as a microscope so you will look at your life and realize some things ain't right. But let me just help you. I know we're looking for peace and we're looking for God to show up, but let me just tell you, true peace doesn't come in the absence of conflict. The, the true peace comes in the presence of Christ. Let me just tell you, conflict was everywhere on the cross of Calvary. It was evident when the wrath of God was being poured out on Jesus. It was evident when the troops were howling, crucify him, crucify him. It was evident when the, soul, when, the, when the people on his left and his right were saying, take himself down. Conflict was everywhere. But it was through that conflict that the peace of God can come to us. Because Jesus took the only piece of conflict that can keep us away from God forever, and that's the wrath of God on the cross of Calvary. So what I'm saying, friends, is if you're looking, if you think peace is the absence of conflict, you're going to be really disappointed because it's not. But true peace is in the midst of conflict, how God can just hold and maintain your mind. You're like, man, two years ago, I would have had a panic attack there, but God just kept me. This person's word is not annoying me anymore. This coworker used to get on my nerves. Now I'm able to walk by them, put my little phony face on and smile and say, God be with you, right? When, but that's only learned in hardship. Let me go on. Here's the second one. Here's the second one. A. Ask for help. Ask for help. Paul says, pray about everything. Let your requests be known to God. He said, whatever it is, you need to pray about it. He, pray about the things that are going right. Pray about the things that you think you have control of. And pray about the things that are falling apart. Pray about it all. I, he, he's saying, I want you to do this. So what he does in this verse is he gives us four methods of prayer that are similar but not identical. He says, I want you to pray with supplication, thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. Let's start with supplication. Let's just do that one. Supplication is a really, really fancy word. And it it's something similar to prayer, but it's talking more about the posture of humility. When you supplicate to God, which, it comes from this word meaning humbly pleading. It's asking someone with great power to help you with your limited power. It's saying, God, I know that you got some super. I know you got some super because you know how you know how to create the heavens and the earth, the sea, all that's within it. But can you take your super and can you put it on my natural? Because I need your help. That's supplication. It's like, God, I, you, you are infinite and you are wise. Can you take your infinite power and can you put it on my finite? Can you put your everlasting on my ephemeral? Can you put your timeless on my temporary? Can you help me? with the circumstance that I'm going in. A, a, a humble plea, supplication would be like this. It's when you ask Daddy God to help you with your situation. Right, some of you right now, uh, you got more month, you got more bill than you got month. Your money is funny. Here's, how, here's a prayer of supplication. It's, it's God, there's a gap in my finances of the fall. Lord, I don't have tuition, I don't have mortgage, but I need you and I'm asking you humbly to open up a door for me. Lord, would you increase my income? Lord, would you decrease my debt? Lord, can you give me some heavenly help 
for my earthly finances. Father, you own the cattle on the thousand hills. You own, you have money, you have all the resources. God, I've been looking for a job. You know I've been struggling with that. Lord, would you pour out your favor on my customers? God, can you do the very things that I can't? That's supplication. It's humbly saying, God, I need your help. Now, here's the problem is a lot of us don't supplicate. For those who are walking with Jesus, we don't supplicate. Why? Because we lack a sense of humility. We think when we pray that God is required to do the thing that we pray about because we've done some good things for him. We're like, don't you know that I've gone to church more than the average member person? The average person comes to church less than 1.7 times a month. I've been here two times this month. <laughs> I done did it. Like, I've taken care of my kids. I'm teaching them the Bible. I'm reading. And God is like, good job. You're supposed to do that. You want to be rewarded for things, or we want to be rewarded for things that we should have been doing anything anyway. But sprinkling prayer with gratitude says that, Lord, I know I want a blessing for, from you, but I'm going to thank you for the blessing that I already have. Like my money may be funny, my credit may be jacked up, but somehow you're going to work out my housing situation. Somehow, God, you're going to work out my job situation. Somehow, Jesus, you're going to help me deal with this coworker or this toxic department so that I can walk in your favor. You're going to help me get this degree I've been pushing for. Somehow, God, I'm going to not focus on the hole in my bucket and I'm going to look at the fact that at least I have a bucket. And let me ask you, what's in your bucket? Because when I look in my bucket, I've got family. I've got church. I've got some gifts that God has given me that I don't deserve. I don't deserve to be up here preaching the gospel. We don't deserve to be up here leading ministry. But God uses us anyway. There should be in our buckets a little bit of thanksgiving. And some of us are like, well, Pastor, you're saying that the pathway to peace is prayer? Yeah, I'm saying that. Well, how come when I pray, I feel worse, right? I feel, well, maybe you just need to take a nap, rinse and repeat, try again tomorrow. Maybe you need to do that. Maybe your prayer life is terrible because you're hangry. Maybe you just need to get in there and get a, get a lower bar and then go from there. Maybe that's not it, right? But he's saying prayer is the pathway to peace, but not just any prayer, prayer with thanksgiving and gratitude, now, some of you are saying, well, pastor, I would have gratitude if I knew how God was going to answer my prayer. No. Real gratitude is when you know, what, what, when you celebrate God for what he's done before he's answered the prayer. It's when you cultivate a sense of gratitude. Like, God, I may not have all the Gucci and Louis and Versace that I want, but I'm grateful for this Zara. I'm grateful for this H&M in my closet. I'm grateful for Target because we wear it. We got to stop playing. I'm grateful for what I have while I pursue what I want. Does that make sense, church? That's gratitude. And so here's the L because my time is limited. Here's the L is leave your worries with him. When you pray, it leads to something I would describe as a great exchange. You're exchanging your pain for his peace. You're exchanging his, your, your limited knowledge for his ultimate wisdom. You're taking the brokenness of your life and you're giving it to Jesus. So Paul is saying, this is, this is what happens. A lot of us pray and then we lay the burden at Jesus' feet and then we go back 
and we pick it up again, and then we just lay it back down. And he's saying, no, 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 just trust me, I got it. This is, this is the burden reservoir over here. Just drop it off and trust that I got this under control. Like many of us are worried right now, but the pathway to peace is prayer. So if you're worried, you need to pray. If you're worried, you need to pray. And you need to be honest with God. You don't need to be like, Father God, in the name of Jesus. We come to you with bowed heads and closed eyes. As humble as we know how, Jesus, just saying things. You don't have to do that. Hold on, I'm not ready yet, Jay. Don't, not yet, not yet, not yet, not yet. I'm getting there, I'm getting there. Jay didn't mess around and tune it up because he saw I saw this mic. What was I saying? What was I saying? Oh, you don't have to do prayers like that. It could be, God, I'm struggling. God, I'm having a hard time. God, I need some help. My emotions ain't corralled. I'm angry. My blood pressure is getting high. I done had this same conversation. I done sent a per your last request email. As I stated, I've been cussing people out in professional language on emails all week. I'm tired. I'm worn out. And Jesus is just like, come on, vent to me, my child. Come on and vent to me. Because my ear is attentive to you. I care about what you're going through. You don't see how I'm going to work it out yet, but... Come on, talk to me. I'm just glad. Sometimes God will send you a storm just so you can talk to him. He'll be like, just throw the storm on. You'll be like, Jesus, I need help. I'm, I'm struggling. He'll be like, thank you. Nice to talk to you. Great. Remember me? Remember me? I got you that relationship and you forgot all about me. You treat your man like he's Jesus. Oh, oh I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That was just, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay. I, Freudian slip. Okay. I'm sorry. Jesus. Anyway. What was I saying? Yeah. Yes. So leave it with Jesus. Leave it with Jesus. Here's the last one. And you can go ahead and play, Jay. Thank you, man. Is meditate on good things. Meditate on good things. Now, when we think about meditation, many of us are thinking like transcendental meditation, right? We're thinking about emptying our minds and getting everything cleared out. That's not what the Bible is talking about, to be honest with you. When the Bible talks about meditation, it's talking about actively thinking about Scripture. It's talking about taking a verse or a periscope of Scripture and just meditating on that thing, just letting it run in your mind over and over again, right? Any, any grillers in the house? Nobody. Just a strong dude in the back. Okay. Okay. Cool. Strong dude in the back. He's the only one. Okay. I don't know if we should go through this illustration, but I'm going to do it anyway. So, uh, I will grill in any season, by the way. Yes. When, the, when the rain comes and the snow blows, I'm still grilling. Yes. I'm still grilling out there. With my, and I got a little pellet grill now, so you could just mess it up. You, you can just cook on there. It's delicious. Now, I will grill out. I remember when, one time the wind came, literally, and blew some of my, uh, blew some meat right off of the grill. So, you know, I did the only thing I could think of. Pick it up within five seconds. Kiss it to God. Kiss it to God. Dirt don't hurt, Jesus. Can't waste all those good carcinogens. You think I done smoked this meat over time and let the carcinogens soak into it to waste it? Of course not. But typically before you throw something on the grill, you let it marinate. Or you throw it in the brine so that it can soak deeply through the pores of the meat. And the same thing that's true of grilling is the same thing that's true of marinating or meditating on the Word of God. It's when you let 
the tenderness of the word tenderize your heart. It's when you allow your speech to be flavored with the speech of God. That's the beauty of meditation. That's what Paul is saying. He's saying, why don't you let your words be seasoned with the flavor of Christ? And here's the thing. The reason that reading the Bible is so amazing is because God will have a little conversation with you through the scriptures before it becomes a big issue later. It'll become a big issue later. When you spend some time just kind of looking at the words, doing your scripture, doing your observation, then your application, then your prayer, like looking at who, what, when, like kind of just really studying the context of it, and then you start praying and asking God for understanding, he will take those words and he will lift them out of scripture and he will apply them to your life. And he will have a little combo with you and help you work on what's in your heart and your mind so that you don't have to be embarrassed by your boss. My wife used to always tell me this all the time. I'll tell her myself. She would, she would, she would say something to me in the house and I wouldn't listen. I'm like, yeah, that's good. Cool. Cool. Thank you. Cool. And I go out and do the very same thing outside. And then I would be embarrassed because someone else would say something to me because I ignored the warning of my wife. Any husband's ever been there before? Just me. Okay. Me and Rob. Okay. Okay. And that's what happens. Let me just tell you, don't overlook the wisdom of your wife. She's a help me. That doesn't mean that she's subordinate to you in that sense. It means she's a, she's a warrior that comes alongside you and help you to fight the battles that you don't even know you need fighting. So don't overlook the wisdom. Or, or, or your, your friends. They're, they're like There's wisdom in the multitude of your counselors. So don't overlook that wisdom because it's going to help you. But, that's, but the ultimate wisdom is found in the scripture. And Paul is saying, just meditate on these things. If it's true, if it's lovely, like turn your attention away from the chaos of the world and turn it to the truth of the Bible. And then I'll help you with your thought life. Listen, there's a lot of things you can't choose. I couldn't choose how tall I was. I would have preferred to be closer to five. 510. I've been good at high 510. You don't get to choose how many hairs on your head. Apparently. Because I would have had the Odell Beckham, the one that like flop over. There's still hope for me. I might get it tattooed on. No? Just a light tattoo. No? Okay. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Let me be great. I couldn't sustain all the jokes. Like, people would just joke with me right all, all the time. Like, so, hey, Pastor, um, what type of Sharpie did they use to draw your hairline? Was it a, uh, I throw everybody out to church. You couldn't laugh. There's a lot of things you can't choose. But you know what you can choose? What thoughts land in your mind and which ones depart? You can. And I just want to say, and I'm finished because I'm over my time, but stop letting intrusive thoughts make a nest in your mind because they're unwanted guests so here let me help you here it is see i want you to control remember that control belongs to god a ask him for help l leave your worries with him and m meditate on good things and if you're wondering what good thing you should meditate on you need to meditate on jesus before the joy that was set before him endured the cross he endured the shame he took on the full punishment and wrath of God so that you and I could have eternal life that when we leave this earth we know that we have a heavenly abode with him 
We know that because he experienced the chaos of all the things that passed on at the cross, that you and I can have joy. We can have joy in chaos. And I'm saying if, if anything you need to meditate on and marinate on, marinate on Jesus. Father, I thank you so much for the abundance of your grace, your mercy that you've given to us. Thank you that when the storm comes and the wind blows, that we're still anchored on you. Jesus, we celebrate you today and we're very, very grateful. Thank you for all those who are under the sound of my voice. Lord, I pray for those who are struggling with their mental health right now. Those of us who are taking medication and experiencing panic attacks. Lord, one thing we can do is we don't have to force you, but we can ask you to bring about a sense of healing. Lord, I pray that you would accelerate their healing right now in Jesus' name. I pray that they would have a lesser dosage of medication and that they would fight to continue to go to counseling. Lord, that you would bring about a sense of healing. Lord, when their chest gets tight and those intrusive thoughts come, I ask you in Jesus' name to be the solution, to be the prescription. Father, I ask you right now because I know you're able to do it. So, Lord, we honor you. We thank you in Jesus' name. And everybody that agree with that, say amen. Amen. Amen.